I think actually the most important thing, and and that's that's a thing we talk about here, is like uh, like that we have zero tolerance for douchebags. That's the number one thing. Welcome to the podcast B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Falsen, as your host. I'm the CEO and founder of VAM that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging. The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hello, I'm Casper Rasmussen. I'm CEO and co-founder in Monza, and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Casper. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. A bit early this morning, but uh, the, the weather is great in Copenhagen, so... Uh, Pleasure to come in. Nice. Have you always been in Copenhagen or, or have you moved there from somewhere else? No, so I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised in the Copenhagen area and I've been here uh, from the yeah from the beginning since I was like 20 years old. I moved into the city. Um, but then I lived in London a couple of times in my previous job when we had like different scaling uh, scenarios. Then I moved there for, for three, four months at the time. Nice. Why I'm asking is because I'm very fascinated by Denmark because I'm quarter Danish. So, so my grandfather was from Kolding and then he moved to Copenhagen, then Sweden. So I love Denmark. And now we let's jump into the episode, Casper. Please, what does Monta do to the elevator pitch? Yes, I think the, the, the easiest way to explain Monta for non-EV drivers, that's uh, that we have this... Uh, EV charging platform, uh, and I think it, you can compare it to what Airbnb does for, for hotel rooms and uh, like uh, flats, uh, that uh, we have a platform where everyone can actually put charge points up and start selling electricity to each other. So they can be private, small companies, bigger companies, very big companies. Um, so, so that's the platform. And for, for the ones more in the EV space, we call it an end-to-end platform within charging. So we deal with all the small software components you you might need today or tomorrow, um, and that's everything from ac- user access, payments, uh, load management, smart charging, all the things you imagine. So, who would you say are your like typical customers? Do you have a clear ICP, or is it very broad? Or we have two uh, customer groups, which is like uh, so. We have the the site owners. That's the ones putting charge points up, and the ones where we actually are earning money on them. Uh, and that can be everything from a small hotel bed and breakfast to a huge utility putting thousands up. Um, and then you have the end customer, which is the EV drivers, which are then visiting the, the charge points to get some energy on their car. That's the two groups. And then how did you end up as the CEO at Monta? So, so the entire like uh, EV space have been pretty exciting from the from for a long time for me. So I, already in 2016, I bought a Tesla and have been a happy EV driver ever since. Uh, so not super early adopter, but but fairly early still. Um, and it was a pleasure uh, for many years. There was no one else uh, at the charge points. You had uh, all the parking you could uh, dream of in the center of Copenhagen, the best parking spots for free. Um, um, and then I, I'm a technology uh, nerd, uh, so uh, I've worked 10 years as a CTO before, uh, built a lot of different uh, products and platforms for, for other companies, uh, a lot in the in the mobility space, actually. Uh, and um, so I think that was the, 
the two things which came together here. Um, then originally I'm an electronic engineer and then moved into software. So the whole thing about like the hardware with the charge points again was actually pretty nice for me. Um, so uh, I think to boil it down, I think the, um, I'm really into the technology like that. Uh, and, uh, and I'm very like uh, a big fan of, the, of Tesla and, and like uh, and how they push this forward. Um, uh, so, so that's one side of it, and then I think it's a little bit of luck, as always, when you when you hit a new industry. That I never, I never been seeing myself uh, entering this space before two years ago, um, when I was like tipped uh, by by a friend about like this is actually happening now. Now, now you see all the big German car manufacturers are coming with their models. Everyone is moving to electricity. No one is really nailing the charting experience outside of Tesla's closed network. And, and that's also because I've been a Tesla owner. Uh, I, I was not used to charging anywhere else, right? Um, that was kind of the, the entry point. And we started looking at it, me and my co-founder, Anders, uh, and also bought a couple of charge points and opened them up to see what is the hardware inside them, like how far are they? Um, and we could see, okay, this is very early. Uh, like they're years behind rest of the like IoT industries here. Um, so so I think that was kind of what, what pulled us into it, that we saw there was a, a position in the market as well to, to go in and capture. And then you run fast because you are, you have passed 100 people right in, in like little more than one and a half year. Yes. The, I think we registered the company in September 2020 and then I was full-time in, in December. So like one year and what, seven months ago, eight months ago. Oh, yeah. This is so impressive. And Casper, then we move on to what would you say is your greatest strength as a leader? Mm, that's a good question. I think uh, actually I spoke to some of my colleagues about it lately. And I think it's it's that uh, I'm, I'm really good at like uh, troubleshooting uh, and, and like uh, getting into things uh, and, and spending a lot of energy and trying to, to nail it in a very good way. Uh, so I think they they see me as someone who who are who is not just sitting in the CEO chair and and, and like uh, handing out assignments. I'm actually there on the floor uh, troubleshooting it as well. Uh, I'm very much into code still. I really it's a huge hobby of mine. I would never leave that. Um, so when I have time for it, I'm I'm in that as well, doing pull requests and contributing. Um, uh, and then I think it's that mix about like I, I started as a I started as a tech guy that worked with with code and, and delivering projects, but in in an agency world where everything is uh, like gone for hire, so you end up being fairly commercial uh, as well. So I'm that mix today where I I, I I'm fairly good at both sides. Um, so I think in my perfect day, I'm actually like for example like today after here I'm, I'm out here at a, at a big pitch for three hours with a with a customer. And then hopefully I will have some hours with the product team in, in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, I, I love those days when you mixed product focus, customer, maybe maybe some growth hacking, etc. Yeah, the, the mix of it, nice. Uh, thank you, Casper. Great to hear. And then challenges. You are in hyper growth mode, so from my point of view, you need to have at least a couple of big challenges. Please, Casper. Tell me and the listeners, what are your biggest challenges right now at Monta? We are still struggling with the, with finding this like uh, go to market where we can really like explosive go in and enter into a new market that 
uh, we've managed to do some really good things in our markets and, and also we opened up three countries last year and they're all doing great now but it's a year to kind of get it rolling um, and that's because we we go in and, and work with like enterprise sales partners and it's a slow uh, burner uh, in that sense so trying to find that layer on top of it which can really like accelerate that drastically that's uh that's the biggest challenge we have to to nail that um we could go out and spend a lot of energy on our like ev drivers trying to attract more ev drivers to the platform but we still at this point have no like clear answer to if we get 10 ev drivers how many more sites are we getting on because that's where we get revenue right um and uh, if we are spending a lot of money just attracting a lot of ev drivers and we don't have enough for them are they then churning afterwards? All that is still too early for us uh, to know. Uh, we're having the first like cohorts on our partners now, right? Because now we've been there for a year, right? So uh, it's really early. Uh, I think that's one thing. And then I think uh, because we are this like platform play, we're struggling a bit on like making sure that everyone actually knows what we're doing. We have a lot of EV drivers out there which are thinking we are what is called a CPO. So putting up charge points, managing them, running the services around it. And, and we don't do any of those things. We only sell like the operating system on the charge point kind of thing, right? Um, <clears throat> so our brand positioning and, and really getting the brand outside of Scandinavia is also something we are, we are struggling on and, and working hard on. Nice. And then we are going to move on to the first question from a listener, Casper. It comes from Johan Lind at Climio. Hey, Casper. The magic of hardware often comes to life in the software. So as natural manufacturers want to own that part of the user experience and revenue, have you experienced any friction there with your hardware partners? If so, how do you work to manage that challenge? Okay, very good, very good question, very detailed, someone really in our area for sure. There is a handful of, uh, of hardware manufacturers which wants to do this themselves um, and, and wants to have the entire experience. Uh, but there's a very big group which are actually looking for someone to take this on because that's not their like how uh, say like the core is to build software, um, and that's the ones we have been focusing most on. In the beginning is to get really good relations up with the ones who really wants us. Um, but now we can see that also the ones who are building software themselves are coming to us because we have much more to offer. So we have this track we call powered by Monza, where the hardware manufacturers will. Uh, if they if they commit to shipping charge points with Monza as a pre-installed or as a like option to opt into really easy, uh, then we also give them access to a hardware portal as we call it, where they can come in and see how their hardware is performing on our platform and compare it to all their competitors. So we are giving them something as well back. But but yes, the the, the friction is for sure there, uh, and and I think uh, generally in EV charging right now the value chains are extremely muddy. Uh, the companies who have been doing this for ten years have been struggling to generate not revenue and profit. So some companies are all over trying to do a little bit of everything, a little bit of consultancy, a little bit of hardware, a little bit of software. Um, but I think with, it's clear that the value chains are now gonna be more streamlined, um, and thereby this is also easier for us to work with. And would you say it's been much more easier now when you get up to speed compared to the very first this? Yes, yeah, for sure. Like in the beginning, they didn't even want to sell us the charge points. We had to like uh, 
go around the the hardware manufacturers and find the like resellers who wanted to sell the, the charge points to them, and then we opened them up ourselves and reverse engineered how to work with them. Uh, today, they send all the hardware to us. We have hundreds of charge points here at the office. They come with engineers, want to make sure it works, that the hardware, that the integration gets really good. Uh, so it's a very different level, yes. I love all these stories. I talk with so many amazing founders, how, how they get the ball rolling and really need to think out outside the box in the beginning. Thank you, Casper, for the answer. And thank you so much, Johan, for your question. Now I want to talk about KPIs, Casper. Which three to five KPIs are the most important for you as a CEO and Monta as a company? Top top three or top five? So we we started the year. So we, so, um, we landed our A-series right before Christmas. And, and then we actually took a couple of days out and started the year to make some strategy days and align the entire company and where we're heading this year. Uh, and our North Star KPIs, that is what we call paid charge points. So that is commercial charge points activated on the platform, which are then generating a, a MR, like a, a subscription-based uh, revenue for us. Um, that's our top KPI where we... Uh, we are we are we started the year below thousand and we are close to eight thousand now and uh, the target is to wow you are, you have eight exited in like seven months yes and we we, st- we still have three eggs to go so that's our uh, that's our north star KPI uh, and then below that we have uh, we have a few different KPIs which are one on quality so uh, we want to make sure that ninety eight percent of all who who try to start a charge actually managed to get it succeeded and that's uh, just for reference it's a uh, market standard is closer to 85 today uh, so 98 is extremely high we're doing 97.34 at the moment um, so th- that's another one um, uh, and then we have like app store rating trust pilots uh, intercom rating where our targets is four and a half also pretty ambitious um, so I think that's what it boils down to. And then, of course, we have MR uh, targets uh, as well. So are you focusing more on MR, you say, than ARR? Uh, yes. Okay. And I think the important one here was that when we started the year, we were not really sure about how we want to price and like what would actually be the top selling and all that uh, in the different packages. So so we made it super simple. Also, all our like everyone in sales, uh, their, their bonus targets, everything is actually on paid charge points. It's not an MR this year. Uh, it will probably be next year. Makes sense. The, the basics get going and then you can fine tune it as you go. Yes, and easy to understand, right? Yeah. And this is very natural for me to ask when I ask for your top three KPIs to move on to frameworks and company goal systems. Casper, please tell me, how, how do you keep track of the core KPIs and work with goals and frameworks at Monta. So like start of the year where we set up all these KPIs and OKRs, uh, that's, uh, the, then we have all our data put into, uh, like we have a data warehouse with Snowflake and we use something, uh, a dashboard tool on top of that called Metabase. So all the all these KPIs are actually live on dashboards. Uh, you can go in and see them and, and, and track them in details. All their live on dashboards are in, uh, around in the office. Uh, so I think that that's the that's the framework today. Uh, that uh, we're not doing anything more advanced than that. That we make sure that uh, what we are running after is also visible to everyone. Uh, they can go in and, and deep dive into that uh, if they want to. And you said uh, dashboards, but you also I heard. The words OKRs. 
Is it yearly, half yearly, quarterly, or how, how do you put it up? It's, it's yearly. So uh, for, for all the things we set up here, there was the, the end of year targets for, for that. Uh, so I think in, in some departments, it, it's harder to, to go out and define like what is what is a, what is a hard uh, KPI in some sense, like for example, in product, or if you're talking about like uh, sure with quality, you can, you can do something, right? But we also have something about like uh, that we need to, uh, we need to get most of the the hardware uh, and the charge points, is, uh, the different uh, hardware manufacturers in Europe where we are operating today, right? Those charge points need to be supported, uh, and you can support them in many different ways. Are you just getting the like the simple feature set up running, or are you getting like everything the more advanced things? Uh, so so build. Below the KPIs, that's also chaos, yes. And we move on to a person I know that you know, because she was the one who introduced me to you. Uh, question number two is from your country manager, Emma, in Norway. So here is her question. Hi, Casper. Emma here. So my question, how important is it to have boots on the ground when you are expanding into several different countries at the same time? Good question. I I think it really depends on what you're doing and and what how uh, also like how fast you want it to do. Uh, so I think personally, it's always better to be to be there physically if you have the if you have the investment money f- to do it and you have the time. Um, so I think that was our strategy in the beginning that we said, okay, we want to put boots on the ground in in all the countries we were opened in, also because we had absolutely no like very little knowledge about the different markets and the differences. And then it's very important. Uh, now we're moving into more hybrid strategy where we say, okay, some countries we will actually start them out of the headquarter and then build them up to a certain level. And then when they get to that level, we will put boots on the ground. And some other countries, the bigger ones normally, for example, France next year for us is, is a target country. It's so big that we and so different that we will start with boots on the ground uh, so, so I think it's extremely important uh, and, and something we will continue doing. Um, and then when you say uh, you will be more centralized going forward, uh, you ha- of course, maybe you haven't decided every, every detail of when you know to go in, but what, how will you measure and start in that market? Will it be like product-led? Will it be through partners? H- how will you get the ball rolling to the certain, a certain amount of level? So I think we look at it two different sides, right? So there will be some strategic countries where it's, it probably also could be extremely hard to enter, but it's something you really want to do. And then it's a push from, from us to, to make that happen. But we're also following our partners. Can we give an example of, of one or two or three markets you, you think when you, when you said this sentence? Yeah, so I think, for example, the Netherlands, it's a, it's a market which is very advanced within EVs, uh, but there's also very high competition there. There's been some really big companies opening up headquarters and like you have Shell, for example, uh, operating that market. Uh, so it's very crowded. Um, but it is also very strategic, uh, so that might be a reason to still go for it. Um, and then I think what what we are doing now is, uh, on the, as well as saying, so we have been like maybe seventy percent or seventy five percent of our revenue today are coming through partners, uh, and some of these partners are asking us to enter with them in new countries. So that's either charge point operators or uh, hardware manufacturers. And if we have those kind of opportunities, then we kind of follow that 
So that's the that's the split uh, strategy today. That there's something about like uh, t- taking the t- uh, taking the opportunities you have, uh, and then there's something about uh, uh, going for the long-term strategy and 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 getting into those markets. You really want to make sure you you get right. Yeah, Emma, thank you for the question. Now it's time to move on to. I will actually throw in the last question right after this from a listener. So here we go with question number three from a listener. And this is Anton Unger from the startup Climato. Here is his question. In your experience, Casper, what is the most important factor when hiring new employees? Would you say it's the motivation to fight climate change as a part? Or is it experience, knowledge within the field of work or something else? I think actually the most important thing, and and that's that's a thing we talk about here, is like uh, like that we have zero tolerance for douchebags. Like so, we we want to hire really good people with a good like uh, mindset of uh, of like uh, of, of what they want to achieve and what they want to be. Uh, and um, that's the number one thing. And then after that, I think the experience within the field today uh, is actually not very important. Uh, the ones who have been doing this for 10 years uh, already, uh, it's a very different industry 10 years ago compared to today, and now it's really moving much faster. Um, so we have seen that uh, when we hire these uh, experienced people in the industry, that it's not always working out, actually. that uh, It's probably more important that they're coming from a fast-paced SaaS uh, scale-up uh, than they know a lot about EVs. Uh, the first 10 employees we had, I was the only one who had an EV. So we had to do like do other things to make sure they got that uh, exposure. So we got company cars and we told them like, take them to your summer house, visit your parents-in-law, try all the things. So you're out there fighting the fight, fighting for the charge points like everyone else. Um, uh, and um, I think now we are, now we are a few, uh, we are hundred people. And, and I think there's more and more coming in with the knowledge or changing to EVs and it's time to be, like a better spread but still we're located in Copenhagen I think most of our Copenhagen employees they are biking to work right and uh, you said something here when you started off this question uh, so first of all uh, I want to say thank you Anton for, uh, for your question and then I want to follow up zero douchebag tolerance I, I don't remember exactly how you frame it but please Casper, explain how do you ensure what layers of steps have you put into your recruitment process to to do the best you can it's always hard to screen those things, right? But uh, you would, uh, uh, as part of our recruitment today, there's a there's a culture interview which is only about like the red flags within that, trying to uh, to to figure out who the person is, um, and then I think uh, it it gets uh, it gets easier when you're starting having a culture about it, right? Uh, and that also means that if you then if someone gets through the the, the loophole, then you can detect it very fast in, within the first two to four weeks, uh, and, and and like uh, get rid of the person if it doesn't work out. Um, I think it's about in the in the in the process, but also at like how you position your company. What is it we we want to achieve together? And I think that with within EV and and also the the green transformation thing, you are attracting a lot of like great people who wants to come in and work on, on helping with this problem. Most months we are having almost thousand employee applications uh, um, for job for jobs, um, and I think that really shows that uh, this industry now and, and people uh, they want to have that their next career change should be something in in like uh, 
in sustainability. And then um, company culture. Can you please, Casper, share like free hacks or something? Some some hacks you are putting up at Monta to ensure a great company culture. Mm-hmm. If we think back a bit, what worked so far? So so it's all, like it's always something you you should continue working on. We we work on it all day every day on improving. But I think like um, from the founding team and then the next like the first ten people we hired, that was more or less only people we knew and have worked with before. So we kind of were sure that that would work out uh, in in some way. And then when we got to our seed round and had and had a big scale in front of us, the first hire we did was a people and culture manager, completely over-invested in that area when you had 10 employees and then you have one just dealing with that, right? And then I think um, another thing which we have done is really try to make sure that uh, we have an environment where people are extremely flexible and, and can and we tried really to make sure they, they feel empowered to take decisions and in that way like that uh, that we don't have to have everything going all the way up and going all the way down all the time that a lot of things are actually happening out in the in the different teams uh, i think that's the three things i would, I would like think of um, for, for culture how, how do you look at yourself as a company are you like a hybrid company are you remote first office first how do you see yourself so we are we are not uh, remote first. Um, we actually it's something we've been like. I think we need to invest a lot more to get to that point if we want to. So today it's a hybrid where we we go out and say like all the ones we are all the ones we're recruiting at the moment that they need to be close enough to come to one of our offices. So we have offices in Copenhagen, in Berlin, in London, in Oslo, but it's free. How many days you are working at the office and how many days you are working at home. Uh, we expect that people are coming in for team events and for like sessions, for like sprint reviews, stuff like that, where it makes sense to be together. But besides that, it's, it's fairly free. I would say probably 50, 60% of the, of, the, of the Copenhagen office is, is here four days a week. And then you have uh, the other half is uh, is more hybrid, like 50-50 home and office. Okay, so we are rounding up now, Casper, at a few last questions. And the first thing when I do the wrap-up is always uh, a question basically just for myself because I'm I'm running VAM, we are sales tool with video, so I'm doing this data point collection. So Casper, what would you say is the best way to do a cold outreach to you? It's mm, a very good question. I think um, the issue is is often that it gets floated in emails or, or, or on LinkedIn. Um, so you need to get the attention somehow, right? But it also, if you get the attention by doing something catchy or like writing something in the in in the subject, uh, which makes me open the the email, and then I instantly see that someone is trying to sell me free like consultancy hours or uh, outsourced teams or whatever, right? then it's not working either, right? Um, there's definitely something about timing. I think the worst thing you can do to me is call my phone and then try and then try to talk to me about a subject and then 30 seconds, 50 seconds into the conversation, I figure out that you're actually trying to sell me something. That that doesn't work at all. Uh, I think I'm, I'm probably pretty hard to, uh, to get uh, to sell to uh, cold, but it's email or LinkedIn and then catch my attention with something... Uh, 
I didn't know was something I would like to read more about. And would you say here, if I caught your attention that a quick video so you can get more data points from your end is better than straight jump into a call or a meeting? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would uh, prefer to have a email with the important things and then I can read it in the morning and the evening when I have time. Then it's top of mind, right? Yeah. Thank you, Casper. And then you now know more than you did two years ago and than you did 10 years ago. Please, what is the top one, two or three advice you want to tell yourself, me and the listeners that you now know that you didn't know a couple of years ago? A couple of, uh, a couple of things I would tell myself is really just like jump into it. Like it, uh, it's uh, starting from scratch and starting uh, starting a tech startup is uh, that's amazing. It's uh, it's the best thing I've done professionally to do that. I'm also I'm actually a bit happy that I didn't do it right after I I finished the university. That I got a couple of years to kind of build up a toolbox, try a couple of things uh, before I was in the situation especially with the scale we had that you didn't really have time to to kind of learn things as you go right it, you really a lot of the things you had to know already um, and then I think uh, I'm extremely happy that we that we picked some we picked some good investors around us uh, in the beginning that we just didn't didn't just run with the the best uh, highest valuation most money only that we also thought a bit about who do we like to work together with for years I think that was that was an important thing, and then uh, yeah, what else is that? I think the the work pressure is uh, equally hard as it was as my uh, as a C level in a twelve hundred people company before. Uh, I think that's something that's that's not something your job is fixing for you. That's something you need to fix for yourself if you want to get that in control. Uh, I think I'm for me it's a huge passion uh, for, to be in product as well, and that's I think for me why I'm spending so much time on it. Nice. And then I say to you who listen first that if you want to connect with Casper or at least follow him, I will add his LinkedIn on the on the episode here so you can click and follow Casper there. And also, if you like what you heard, please press the subscription button so you can check out more great episodes with B2B socios and previous ones. And Casper, wish to other B2B socios, are you inspired by from the European, Nordic, or Danish community that you would like me to sit down 25, 30 minutes with? So I saw that you actually just had the Brendan one last week. Uh, yes. But he would have been one of my list. Uh, okay, good. So one one of two. Yeah, exactly. Then I, I really, I'm really into the very techy companies. So uh, like uh, reach out to Cordy, Andreas. You know him? I don't know him. I heard just quickly the name somewhere. But so, so I will check it out. Thank you, Casper, for that. Yes. And uh, that was this for now. So, Casper, a huge thank you for putting aside 30 minutes together with me to help the community and me keep on learning. Yes, and thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>